The first thing he encountered round the back was Mrs. Fosdyke's face, grimacing at him through a window behind a large duster. "'Come on, Zero, he said. They went right to the very edge of the garden, where it met the meadow. There the two of them started up again, but the game was not to last for long. "'For pity's sake!' shouted a familiar voice. "'Is there no peace to be had?' Jack turned about, uncertain where the voice had come from. "'I may as well give up,' came Mr. Bagthorpe's gloomy voice. Jack spotted him. He was only head and shoulders visible in the long grass of the meadow, through which could be seen glimpses of the thick snow-white arm among the green. "'I didn't know you were there,' he shouted. "'Sorry!' Mr. Bagthorpe sank slowly out of sight like a submarine submerging. Jack wondered what he was doing. His father never lay around in meadows. He felt that simply to go through the wicket gate and peer would look merely inquisitive. He needed an excuse to go in there, and a solution immediately struck him. He raised the stick, threw it as hard as he could in the approximate position Mr. Bagthorpe had last been seen, and shouted, "'Fetch!' With this he flung open the wicket, and Zero thundered past, with Jack in hot pursuit. He was pulled up by a blood-curdling yell of rage and despair. Jack, who was used to ordinary kinds of yell, stopped dead in his tracks. Mr. Bagthorpe surfaced again right by Zero and seemed to be lunging after him. Zero, probably temporarily unhinged by the terrible cry, did not return to Jack as usual, but veered right off track across the meadow in the opposite direction. It looked to Jack as if he had something else in his mouth besides the stick. He raced to the far side of the meadow, and then must have lain down because all at once he disappeared. He was probably chewing the stick, Jack thought, because he was nervous. Jack knew just how he felt. Sometimes his own nails were down to the quick. Mr. Bagthorpe, astonishingly, was lurching over the meadow in the direction Zero had taken. He was yelling loudly. Jack could not hear all of it, but all the old catchphrases were there, mutton-brained, and useless, and god-awful beast. Jack followed at a fast rate. He and his father were just about level when Zero became, in, became visible, lying on the trodden-down footpath by the hedge. He was chewing and snorting, as he had done the day he caught a rat. He only once ever caught a rat, and Mr. Bagthorpe had said that it must obviously have been dead already, and Zero just happened to find it. What Zero was chewing now looked like a kind of long black worm with a large head, though Jack had certainly never observed a creature of this nature in the meadow before. "'Ruination!' cried Mr. Bagthorpe in anguish. "'My last link with sanity snapped!' He actually clutched at his head. Jack heard the bump of plaster cast against his skull bone. He was going to have to learn to make fewer such gestures." Jack raced to get to Zero ahead of him. Zero was still growling and worrying whatever it was in his mouth. Jack's heart dropped like a stone. He could not see exactly what it was in Zero's jaws, but trailing from it was a long black length of flex with a two-pronged plug at the end of it. Mr. Bagthorpe was, for once, lost for words. He just stood there for a while and groaned and beat his forehead with his good hand. When he did finally speak, it was only to repeat himself. "'My last link with sanity! Snapped!' Jack knelt by Zero and held out his hand. "'Give, Zero,' he commanded. "'Give. Good boy.' "'Good boy!' yelled Mr. Bagthorpe. "'What do you mean, good boy? 
Hound of hell! Zero dropped what he had in his mouth into Jack's hand, and slouched off alongside the hedge with his tail down. Jack looked down at what he held. It felt rough and damp. It had once been smooth and dry. It was the microphone of a tape recorder, chewed out of existence. "'If I should go mad,' said Mr. Vagthorpe dully, "'think only this of me. I was a man hounded out of my mind.' He turned and began to drag away back over the meadow, his white arm hanging loosely by his side. If his ears had been the drooping kind, they would have been drooping. Jack was torn between feeling sorry for him and sorry for Zero. He felt sorry for them both. He decided to leave the former alone, for the time being, and set off after the latter to have a few reproachful words with him. He felt that Zero could not be held wholly responsible for the tragedy, because he could not, in all fairness, have expected to find an exciting-looking snake tangled up with his stick, and was naturally excited when he did so. Jack felt that if his father had wished to dictate his scripts into a cassette recorder, he should have done it in the obvious place, his study, or else given everyone fair warning that he would be concealed in the long grass doing it. Even so, he wondered whether he ought to offer to buy a new microphone. The trouble with this idea was that he already owed all his spare cash to Uncle Parker, for the mysteries. And a lot of good they've done me, he reflected. Once Jack had given the matter some thought, however, he could see how it had all come about. What had really been at the bottom of it all was false pride, Mr. Bagthorpe's. One of his favorite topics was the inefficiency, hatefulness, and general destructiveness of machines in any form. He conveniently ignored the fact that his own livelihood depended on one of those obnoxious devices, namely the television. The only machine he would have any truck with was his typewriter, and even that was so old that it could hardly be called a machine. It was more of a makeshift. It was over thirty years old, and the BBC were always ringing up to check words it had mistyped. Mr. Bagthorpe saw this as a virtue. It showed, he said, that the typewriter had a mind of its own, and was something to be reckoned with. "'Machines,' he was fond of saying, "'are the opium of the masses. "'If all the machines in England were thrown into the North Sea tomorrow, "'we should be back in the Garden of Eden, "'and the weather would probably improve.' "'Nobody ever argued with him, "'except Grandma sometimes when she felt like it. "'The rest of them went cheerfully on "'using their electronic devices, "'electric guitars and dishwashers and so on, "'without a moral misgiving in the world.' Mrs. Bagthorpe had given her husband a portable cassette recorder for Christmas some years ago. She recognized that she was playing with fire, but decided to risk it, especially as it was the season of goodwill, and Mr. Bagthorpe really did try to keep calm and kind over Christmas. He had thanked her for it in a formal kind of way and put it in a cupboard, where it had been ever since. Once or twice over the years Mrs. Bagthorpe had timidly suggested that he might occasionally use it to capture his dialogue. "'The day I speak my thoughts into any machine,' he had said, almost prophetically as it turned out, "'will be the day my right arm is cut off.' Or, alternatively, "'Can you imagine William Shakespeare dictating Othello into one of those things? "'Did Keats use one, or Dickens, or Tolstoy?' "'To which there was no answer, except the obvious one that these particular writers did not even have the option. "'Nobody made this point.' If you are up against one of Mr. Bagthorpe's prejudices, you are up against a stone wall. He got it from Grandma. 